Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. So Christopher, I just wanted to introduce Coach Dad because I think it shows the caring, compassionate side of Christopher, which I think is really important to sort of pre-frame our discussion now because we're now going to get onto the sort of nitty-gritty of what we're going to be talking about in the property context, which is repossessions. And I know from talking to many people that this is quite an emotive subject which can get people quite hot under the collar with, I think, implied thoughts of trying to rip people off and you know just take advantage of people which of course is not what we're going to be talking about at all in this context but it's potentially a big problem isn't it i, th I think uh, as i remember you, you you did a survey or you came across a survey which showed what would happen as and when interest rates go up Can yeah yeah just tell us what you found yeah i mean that's right there was a survey done um i think it's 2016 towards the end of 2016 um, that said that if interest rates, so this is when interest rates for a bank rate was at quarter of a percent, if they were to go up just 2%, a quarter of residential homeowners would have difficulty maintaining their payments. Right, let's just let that sink in. Mm. If rates go up 2% from a quarter of a percent to only 2 and a quarter percent, a quarter of all homeowners will struggle to pay their mortgages. That's right. And that is frightening statistic, isn't it's it? It's about 9 million people. 9 million people. I mean, on the one hand, that would probably suggest that the Bank of England are going to be incredibly cautious about raising <laughs> rates, despite what the press say, and despite what economists in the city are always saying, you know, rates are going to go up to whatever. Mm. And this is, explains, presumably, why Mark Carney and, and the Bank of England have been sitting on their hands for so long. But they can't sit on their hands forever, can they? No, no. I mean, obviously, with Brexit and everything that's going on with the world, it's a very uncertain time you know we've never done this before as a society um, interest rates have never been as low as they have been for this period of time they will be going up um, they've suggested they'll only do it quarter percent at a time but obviously that's just a guess and it depends on how the world turns out but it is a scary number to think that many people are going to have difficulty maintaining their payments yeah. I mean and that's just based on interest rates going up when I mean, we've seen in the news recently we've Carillon, um, that's a lot of people that are potentially losing their jobs. Um, yeah, absolutely. The market's changing and employment is key to that. You, know, you need a job to maintain um, your mortgage payments. Yeah, and even if you've got a job, we've also seen that salaries and wages aren't keeping pace with inflation, yeah. allegedly. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different factors, aren't there, which could tip somebody over the edge. Yeah. So just for a bit of a general background, and I guess most banks operate in, in, in a very similar way, if, even if they're not identical. But if somebody does get into trouble, what are the processes and steps that the bank will use and at what sort of points in the journey time-wise do the various processes yeah. kick into place? Yeah, I mean, you're right that most banks will follow similar processes. They all need to adhere to the MCOB regulation and the mortgage code of business um, with everything that they're doing in terms of the collection process. But generally... If you're a residential homeowner and you get kind of three months behind on your monthly instalments, that's the point where legal action to recover the property for you to be repossessed will start. 
And during that period, you know, when you're one month down, two months down, the bank needs to um, afford you every opportunity to bring it up to date, whether that's through um, a, a repayment arrangement based on your monthly instalment plus an amount extra. Obviously, if you haven't got a job, you can't play your monthly instalment, never mind the amount extra. They need to consider forbearance. So if you're on a repayment, maybe consider changing you to interest only for a period of time. If um, maybe they'll consider a payment holiday or a reduced payment. They need to consider it, but they're not obliged to do it. Um, so really, it is a case for the homeowners to work with their lenders. I know it can be scary. I know it's a very daunting thought. You know, maybe you've lost your job or something's happened where you can't pay and then you're potentially going to lose your home. And I know my home means a lot to me. And um, I'm sure it, your, your own personal home means a lot to everyone, really. Mm. It's, it's where, where you call home, really. Mm. Um, so during that time, they'll make contact, they'll send letters, they'll try and give you every opportunity to, um, to bring the account up to date and maintain it and continue on. But unfortunately, if you haven't got the money, you haven't got the money. So what happens then, Christopher, if, the, if you get to the three-month point, They've written to you, they've reminded you to pay your mortgage, maybe you've had a bit of a dialogue, talked it through, but if you can't do anything, mm -hmm. what happens after that three months? That's when it will start the legal action. So a lot of um, mortgage companies will have a solicitor that will act on their behalf, or they may have an internal legal department. So the next thing you'll get is that letter, the formal demand, kind of giving you seven days to bring the account up to date um, before they issue for a court hearing. Okay, so again, you receive the formal demand, it asks for the money in seven days, yeah. you still can't pay the money, mm. then what happens? Um, that's when they issue. So um, the solicitors will use a um, system called PCOL, very similar if you're doing a mortgage uh, money claim under MCOL. Um, that will instruct the courts to set a hearing date for you. When the hearing date's set, the court sends you, the homeowner and the mortgage company, a letter confirming the date and time of that hearing and where it will be. And your next step is um, that court hearing. So how long would that be from receiving the seven-day demand to actually having a court date, typically? Um, the court, when you issue on um, PCOL, normally the date will come through within a day, if not instantaneous on the system. Um, it depends on your local court hearing. Obviously, London courts are very dense, and so it can take maybe two, three months. Um, if a court is less busy, it, it can be a month's time. Right. So just sort of try and get a sort of framework in my own mind. If I stop paying my mortgage today, there's the three months, mm -hmm. then there's the demand, yeah. and then maybe a month to three months for the court hearing. So we could be talking about six to seven months from missing my first yeah. payment to ending up in court. Yeah. So it's quite quick, isn't it? It is quick. I mean, by that time, you could be six, seven months behind, um, which can be a big figure. Um, but it is, it is fairly quick, you know, before you get that opportunity to put your situation proposal to the judge yeah so sadly some people are going to end up in court they're going to be unable to pay they're going to stand before the judge the judge is going to ascertain that they're unable to pay mm -hmm. presumably at that point does the judge then give possession to the bank yeah so the judge if he can't see i mean the key thing here is that part of the fca regulation is repossession should always be a last resort if nothing's no solution's been found and there's no prospect of recovery um, the judge has no option but to grant a straight possession order. But normally they'll suspend this for 28 days is the, is the norm. They can do it longer if there's mitigating circumstances or if you've shown no intent, they can do it sooner. 
Um, but if there's no route to recovery, the judge has no um, kind of no other recourse but to issue a possession order. Once that's granted, say if it's 28 days, 28 days later, if you're still not cleared your arrears, your mortgage company would then apply to the courts for a bailiff instruction and um, a bailiff date would be set. And that can be kind of, again, bailiffs are very busy at the moment, so you've got your 28 days and then it could be a month after that before the bailiff comes, but equally it could be a week. Okay, so the bailiff will obviously invite you to leave the property. Mm -hmm. At some point, title must be transferred to the bank. Yeah, so um, once the bailiff takes possession of the property, they'll then hand it back to the bank um, and it will be held in their possession until they're able to sell it. And so, I mean, even then they're obliged to seek the best possible outcome. Well, this is what we're going to get onto. So what do the bank do once they actually have the property back? Um, again, some will have internal teams, some will leverage it out, um, but it will be dealt by a property department who will sort the property out. So if it's an estate and it's not going to be able to get be sold in that state, they'll do basic works, clear it down, cap the utilities, um, and then it will go up on an estate agents normally. Yeah, or into an auction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, normally they'll try the estate agents first because they're likely to get a better price. But if the condition is in such, if the property is in such poor condition, maybe because the homeowner hasn't been able to maintain it because they haven't had any money, then then they could look for a, an auction sale. Yeah, interestingly, I've bought properties which have been repossessions through an estate agent, mm -hmm. where the homeowners have actually. I suppose it's sort of indicative vandalism. They've taken out the bathroom and kitchen, mm. which I guess was probably good for me <laughs> because it meant that the property was sold at quite a low price. The thing which a lot of people may not realise, though, of course, is that although I can understand the frustration of the homeowner in wanting to vent their spleen against the bank and trash the place on the way out, but it actually works against them, doesn't it? Yeah. Be because am I right in thinking at all? I mean, how long can this process take and what costs are accruing in the background? Yeah, I mean, the costs are where it really starts to add up. Um, I mean, especially if you've had a older product, so you're on a 90, 95% LTV, mm -hmm. you know, loan to value, your, your equity is already small. Mm -hmm. A normal repossession, if it's straightforward and you don't contest it, you're looking probably five to £10,000. Then you get your kind of your sale costs, so your asset manager, when they go in and clear down your house. Um, if you've, say, left the tin of paint in there, paint can be considered hazardous material. So the asset manager will then charge the um, mortgage provider 10, 15, 20 pounds, depending on their tariff plus VAT, for each tin of paint to dispose it. Now, I know for me, I've got 20 odd pet tins of paint in my um, garage. Mm. And even that, it will soon add up and add up. And if you have your house recovered and they sell it and you owe 100,000, they sell it for 90,000, you still owe that bank 10,000 pounds. And that will be an unsecured debt and follow you around for the next six years. Plus all the costs on top as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think sometimes people don't realize just what a profound impact repossession can have on the homeowner. Mm. As you say, the, the liabilities don't just evaporate. No. So it's for six years. The banks can actually chase you for six years after mm. they've taken possession. Yep. So um, you can't just send the keys back in a brown envelope and say it's yours. Yeah. I mean, you, the, the homeowner is able to um, to kind of hand the property back, but the same process happens. I mean, there you you wouldn't have the eviction costs, but they'll still charge you for the sale of the property, and it could still tip you over, you know, into negative yeah. equity. Yeah. 
So on top of that, the homeowner presumably their credit ratings trashed. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a pretty miserable time, really, isn't it? To have bailiffs coming in. Yeah. Asking you to leave your home. Yeah. So as soon as you have the recovery process started, you're going to get an eight on your credit file, which is the worst it can get. Again, it stays there six years. If you then have it recovered, um, it will then show as a recovery on your credit file as well, mm. which isn't going to help you move on. You've had a bad enough time, you know, why you haven't paid. No one wants to not pay their mortgage. So you've had that, you've lost your home, and now you're being chased for more money. You know, for the next six years, it's it's pretty miserable. Isn't it, it? It's quite heartbreaking. Well, we'll come on to how we can help people in that position in a, in a while. But let's just keep exploring this process so we fully understand what they're up against and what could potentially happen. Because, as you say, the the bank will then take the property back, and at some point, and it's not always instant. So that means that the costs are occurring in the background if they're managing the property and they've got the team mm -hmm. in and they're doing, yeah, clearing it all out and doing whatever they're going to do to it, and all those costs are occurring. But at some point, they're going to try and sell the property. First instance, usually through an estate agency, if they can get the best price. If that doesn't work, then it goes into the auction. But it strikes me, Christopher, just from having sort of watched the process from the outside, that although the banks are meant to be getting the best possible price, mm. how can you deem what the best possible price is? <laughs> it seems to me so often that they let the properties go at a, quite a cheap price, which is why a lot of people think repossessions are cheap. Yeah, yeah. It, it varies from bank to bank, from institution to institution. Um, the best possible price, you cannot, no one can tell at the moment, even with hindsight, um, it is kind of an educate, educated guess. Um, do you let it go a bit cheaper now? And you, can, you can maybe could have got a higher price in a month's time, but in a month's time, you still had that next monthly instalment become due the interest on the outstanding balance. And so really from the bank side, it's crystallizing the loss at the lowest possible rate. Obviously, they're a commercial business. They need to not lose money themselves. Um, and they should try not incur charges and put more money for someone that's in that position anyway. So different different places will have different styles some will want to sit on it and maybe hopefully in a month six months time it will be worth more some will just want to get rid of it quickly now because it just draws a line in the sand and then at least your numbers are known rather than guessing what they'll be in six months time mm. but i mean really it is educated educated guess really mm. so for anybody who's listening there's obviously the prospect of buying a repossession after the property's been through this process and i guess some of the ways that they can be spotted is A, they're vacant, mm. B, when you're looking at the photos on Rightmove or whichever property portal you use, there's usually red stickers all over the taps and the yeah. electrical system. Taps, saying, toilets and gas taps, yeah, points. And, yeah, saying yeah. do not use, so you can yeah. see the stickers in the photos. And all this stuff is a clue that it's a repossession. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to the estate agent, they won't actually call it a repossession nowadays, they call it a corporate sale. Yeah. And what generally tends to happen, I think, from my experience anyway, is that the estate agent will usually invite offers, but they won't exchange contracts, or at least the property won't be taken. Well, let me start again. The property won't be taken off the market until they exchange contracts, which means they'll keep marketing it, even if you put in an offer and the offer's accepted. Yeah, even if you've done your searches and actually put some money into the deal already yourself, if they get a better offer, they can and will just switch to the um, new offer which is going to leave you out of pocket. So there's some risks even in buying a repossession property. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone the heartache for the person who's repossessed. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. 
But the reason why so many people get excited about repossession properties is that there's this perception that they're very cheap. Mm. I, I mean, I wonder whether that's perhaps because repossessions tend to happen when the market's in a downturn anyway, when everything's cheap. Yeah, and yeah. nobody's buying. So I mean, I always go if you're getting something cheap, maybe someone else is losing out. You know, obviously, people here are running their business; they're looking to expand their portfolio, and a bargain is a good bargain. But at what cost? Mm. Um, I mean, what I, I really strongly put to people is if you can get to the point of helping them and getting that deal done before they're re, um, repossessed, that's actually where you can real make the savings and get a bargain but really help that vendor as well. Well, let's explore that because that is a brilliant point. The best time to buy a repossession is actually before it's a repossession. Yeah. Yeah. So Christopher, how, how can we help then? How can we actually get into the system before and help people before they do get repossessed? Yeah. For me, it's really helping about helping property investors know what that system is, what, what the game is you're playing. If you know the rules, you can actually work it best. Um, I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but it's the system that we've got, and by knowing it, we can use it to our advantage as property investors. But also, you know, with, with that ethical heart that I hope we all have, you know, we, we can actually help um, the homeowners um, move on and get a fresh start. I mean, there's no point eroding equi equity for them in bank charges. If you can agree a lower deal now, which is going to save them what they would lose in bank charges anyway, the investors getting a good offer. You know, they're, they're getting good value, but also they're allowing that homeowner to walk away from the property, maybe with a little equity, maybe with no equity, but they're both better options than having equity, negative equity and still owing the bank money. Um, you know, and even if there's a chance of the sale and what you're putting together would create a shortfall, the bank will still listen to that as well because you're crystallizing the, the loss at a lower level now rather than it potentially increasing in the future. So it really is given the option, or knowing the game and giving them the options um, so everyone can win out of it. It really can be a win-win situation. In your experience, how open are the banks to doing some kind of a deal, even if it means that they're still making a loss, but making a smaller loss? Are they open to that yeah, kind of negotiation? Yeah, more, more so over the last 10 years, uh, there's been a, a clear change, you know, um, with increased regulatory kind of oversight, Fair outcomes, uh, one of the leading principles of the FCA, of there's no need to actually cause detriment to the customer if there's another way. If there's another way, you should explore that. Um, and as I said, even on the sale shortfall, banks, no one wants repossessions. It doesn't look good for the banks. It obviously hurts the homeowners and it doesn't help society as a general. Because if they get repossessed, they're likely to then look for social housing, which then causes strain elsewhere down the chain. Um, so if they can avoid the repossession, they can avoid kind of a provisioned loss. So, so kind of a provision would be they're putting money aside based on their expectation that they could have a loss. They would rather use that money to invest or lend on a different mortgage. So if you can remove the need for provision, you know, it's really about understanding their needs and just you can quite easily tick, tick them off by presenting a good offer and kind of the timescales and what it would be beneficial doing it this way rather than allowing for a recovery to go ahead. Yeah, sure. So at the point when the property ends up in the estate agent, it's far too late, so we need to be meeting somebody who's in financial difficulty yeah. even before the bank have 
got too far in the process. So this strikes me, we're probably talking about going direct to vendor. Yeah. Leafleting, newspaper ads, mm. bandit boards maybe, word of mouth, yep. just letting mm. people know that you're there to help. Oh yeah, definitely. I think it is um, about building that credibility yourself. Because obviously, as we said, having your home taken away from you, you get people initially, they do the ostrich, you know, kind of head down, ignoring everything. But when when their pain is big enough, they'll start listening. And if you are in the right place, kind of with the right credibility and training, you will then be able to give them an offer and the reassurance that you're going to have their heart in mind whilst looking um, for a solution for everyone, really. Um, so really it is get in there, have that honest conversation. Please do it for more than just the money. Actually, it's a good way of giving back, really, mm. um, having consideration of the ethics that your business holds in society. Yeah. So how would that actually look in practice, Chris? Supposing I went round to a potential vendor's house tomorrow and it turned out that they were in financial difficulty and had the prospect of being repossessed, what sort of discussion would I be having with them and how would I be looking to help them and structure a deal? Yeah, so everything I teach isn't going to turn you into a debt counsellor. It will explain what the debt counsellors will do, but what I always do and always say to people is if you meet a distressed vendor, your first question should be, have you spoken to your lender and have you sought independent financial advice? Because there's some great charities out there, Citizens Advice Bureau, Step Change, I mean, the list goes on. Mm. And sometimes people just need that friendly nudge to go through the income and expenditure. I mean, and that's the key thing they look at is, is your, you know, can your income be increased? Can your expenditure be reduced to create the right balance? And so if you've gone to CAB, for example, they do your income and expenditure with you. And if you can't afford it, they would say you need to sell your house. Mm. You know, and that's where <clears throat> kind of the opportunity comes from, is that if you try and sell your house in two weeks with an estate agent, you're not likely to do it. And um, that's where the light bulb moment came for me when I was kind of at ESR, is that there's people property investors in this community that have cash available, that want to make good deals quick and actually want to put something back as well. So it just feel, felt like the right, right thing at the right place at the right time with the right people. Sure. So how, how would you actually try and structure the deal? I know that that's a bit of a general question <laughs> because every property owner is going to have a different size mortgage, they're going to have different amounts of debt. I, I appreciate that, but in general terms, what are the sorts of things that you'd be looking at? Yeah, I mean, you need to know what's outstanding on the mortgage, um, kind of what their monthly instalment is. Um, every investor is going to have different kind of what they're willing to do, but it could be that actually all the homeowner needs is a quick sale now. If you have a quick sale now, uh, enough to cover the mortgage, they could be happy because they get a clean start. You know, they don't have that debt chasing after them. You can go a bit more creative. Maybe um, the homeowner just needs a bit time, bit more time. Maybe the investor looks to make an initial payment to clear the arrears, to give more time for a transaction to be completed. Um, like in the sale shortfall, maybe um, the homeowner just needs that kind of letter explaining the offer from the investor that they can give to their finance provider and that would allow them more time to allow for a deal to go through. I mean, it can be quite specific and detailed whether in the actual options, but generally it is just kind of looking for a solution that meets people's needs, um, 
but allows for that progression to continue. Well, talking of options, it strikes me there's a number of different ways we could do this because we could go for an outright purchase now, mm. whether it be at the mortgage, slightly more than the mortgage or slightly less than the mortgage, if the bank were happy mm -hmm. with that, or even deferring a purchase, as you say, clearing the arrears maybe yep. and taking on something like an option mm. to buy the property in the future and then either paying the mortgage for the homeowner, yep. possibly. Yeah. Yeah, and then something creative like that can yeah. work. I mean, you can take it as creative as, as you need. I mean, obviously, you mm. and the um, great team here at Progressive teach a lot of different um, different ways of structuring deals. Um, and for me, it really is pushing the ethical side to it. And quite often, you can learn a lot of, see what a lot of your options are just simply by listening. Mm. And um, if you're a homeowner distressed because stuff's happened in your life, having someone listen will quite often be the decision maker for them. Do they go with, you know, investor A, who's taken the time to sit down, have a cup of coffee, empathize, realize kind of, and listen what their situation are, or investor B, who just goes, I'll give you this. Yes. Here's the offer, or I'm gone. Yeah. I mean, what, what does that add, really? Well, I, I agree. And there, there was a time a few years back when I was leafleting one of my local areas, you know, the little yellow leaflets yeah. which say, we buy houses first. And I was pushing the leaflets through the doors, and I literally got a call on my mobile 10 minutes after I put a leaflet through this one lady's door. Because coincidentally, and there must, this doesn't happen every day, obviously, but coincidentally, that day she'd had the letter telling her that she was due in court, I think it was in three weeks' time, mm. for her repossession hearing. So she panicked, and the, le the leaflet landed just at the right moment for her to call me. It was, would have been probably quite an amazing deal for me as a property investor, her house was worth about 250000 and she had a mortgage of 200000 and she wasn't interested in anything other than just clearing her mortgage and getting out of the problem. But unfortunately, because she was a bit of a spendaholic, she had another £70,000 on credit card debt, and her husband had a similar amount on his credit cards, and they'd now split, and he'd been made unemployed, and the whole thing was just unravelling. And I realised there was so much going on in the background, it would have been a risk for me to actually try and get involved in the situation. So what I suggested to her, which for some reason she hadn't thought of, I said, why don't you just get in touch with the bank and tell them that you're going to sell your house? And then she did. She went to the estate agents, and the estate agents sold it quite quickly, although it was worth 250 I think she took 225 something like that. And she sold the house very, very quickly and at least cleared her mortgage debt. Yeah. And that but, would have been a great weight off her shoulders. You know, it really has given the option to allow people to move yeah. on. I made nothing out of it. That's mm. the thing. I made nothing out of it. But, you know, it didn't really matter. Mm. But it felt good, though. It felt good. <laughs> and there'll be other deals where I can step in and help mm. and where I can benefit as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Is you can never give more than you have, you know, um, whether that's money or, or support, kind of emotion on it. Um, but by knowing the system, you have a few more tools in your, in your toolkit and it allows you to um, kind of structure it a bit better to understand it more and really get into the nitty-gritty of kind of what's happening, because this can happen to anyone. Mm, absolutely. Now, one thing which our listeners might be thinking is, can we buy the property and leave the homeowner in place and rent the property back to them? Unless if you're regulated by the FCA, no. Yeah. And virtually nobody is regulated by the FCA. I think, I think seven only companies in the country. country. Yeah, half a dozen mm. companies around the place. Yeah. So the answer to that is no. It would be a nice idea. Mm. Sadly, as so mm. often happens, 
sale and rent back, as it was called. That was yeah. quite a big thing after the crash. Yeah, I mean, that was a shame happens. as well, because it was a great solution, yeah. but it only took a few people but to take advantage. A few people advantage. ruined it, didn't they? Take it advantage, it. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sadly, we can't do that. It would be a sensible solution to mm. buy the property and then rent it back to them and leave them in their own home, but we can't do that. But potentially, you could buy the property and then move them into the house next door, yeah, yeah. for example. I mean, if you've already got a rental stock, maybe, actually, they just want that fresh start somewhere smaller, lower rent, you could rent a different property from them or rent a different property to them, buy their house, they can move into the other one and you can do, you know, rent that one out or do whatever you're doing with it. Yeah, there's usually a solution somewhere, isn't there, yeah, if you think yeah. about it, yeah. Yeah, quite often it's just sitting, listening and kind of with an open mind and it will come to you. Yeah. So Christopher, this is obviously a subject which is really close to your heart and I'm guessing that in your role with the banks that you've worked with, dealing with people who are in a distressed situation, that must have really touched your heart. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's horrible because, as I said, it can happen to anyone. Um, you can lose your job, maybe you become ill. A lot of us in this community, no doubt, are self-employed. If you're ill, who does your work? Who brings in that? So totally. it, it can hit anyone. Um, maybe you've had mental health issues, maybe someone close to you has, has become ill, has died. It's just round the corner, potentially, from anyone. Um, and so there, there is that. Um, and listening to the stories, I mean, there's one that um, really drove me to do this. Um, it, it's, I talk about it kind of on the course, um, but everyone does behaves in different ways with it. I mean, one thing that I always remember is a gent who called in um, when I was back with Lehman Brothers and He'd never been in arrears before. He had, even he had just gone to a new job. They'd messed up his wage, and so he hadn't been paid for, I think it was 10 weeks. And so he's a month and a bit behind on his payment. And they'd actually gone in, him and his wife, and had sold their engagement and wedding rings to pay their mortgage. Mm. Um, you know, at that point, regardless of company policy, I said, look, go get your rings. I'll set you a repayment arrangement. But he felt such a stigma of the arrears mm. over him that he said, no, we've sold them now. I'll just pay the arrears. I never heard from him again. You know, his new job seemed to go well and he's maintained his payments. But people make big decisions, you know, over symbolic things such as wedding rings and that. I mean, you're never going to get that back, are mm. you? Um, but he, he almost spoke with pride as he said, I've got the money to clear my arrears. You know, but so it's kind of a bit of sweetness with that one. Mm. But some of the stories are just, you can only do what you can do, you know, and I always felt that there was more that I could do, but just not in that situation. Mm. And that's what's led me to kind of put together this and talk about the um, kind of repossession side and the kind of bringing more ethical nature and business in, into property investors' world. Now, this is something you teach on. You've mentioned that you teach on this. So tell us a little bit, bit about that, Christopher. Yeah, so I work with banks and institutions now. Um, I set up after Oldermore, I set up my own consultancy. So I've worked with um, different banks, building societies and that, um, how to fully utilise their system, how to get the most out of their people, engaging with their customers. So actually it becomes more customer-centric rather than um, just results-based of how low can you keep your arrears. It's what are the positive outcomes. Um, and then also talk kind of in property circles and individuals as well how they can utilize kind of the knowledge of repossession and the reasons for it and more of the kind of human fluffy side of it i guess um how to open people up and get best results for everyone really 
Um, I, I keep on repeating it, but it is going for that win-win situation. Right, so you have teaching which is specific for property investors. Yeah. How do we access it? Um, so I'm putting together a course, it's pretty much there. I've created a Facebook group. Um, as I said, it's almost there. The one thing I'm stuck on is actually the name. So I've created a Facebook group, so if anyone wants to kind of get on the story to start with, I've actually called it Repo Savers. Repo Savers, yeah, so, all one word or yeah, two words? Yeah, one word, R-E-P-O-S-A-V-E-R-S. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit stuck for a name. And for the course. For the course. <laughs> um, of everything, that's the hardest bit i found. So, I mean, what I'd like to offer, if it's all right with you, is if any of your listeners pick the name that wins, you know, that I like the most that I adopt, I'm more than happy to offer them a free place on the course, however that may turn out, um, you know, for, as a gratitude for their input. Really. Hey, this is the first, comp- <laughs> first competition we've ever had on oh, brilliant. the Progressive Property Podcast. Why not? So Chris needs help naming his course. It's about the ethics of um, repossessions. Yeah. Using, yeah. using ethical knowledge or using knowledge to handle repossession cases in an ethical and productive way. So how can they contact you? Um, you can join the group on Facebook, Repo, Repo Savers. Um, I presume there's a box underneath wherever you're listening with notes. Um, you can put a message there, um, you know, or message me directly on Facebook. Right, and presumably they can tag you in. Yep. But just for the avoidance of doubt, let's spell your name so they can find yeah. you. It's Christopher Follietta. So and how do you spell that, Christopher? F-O-G-L-I-E-T-T-A. Yep. Do you say it again, just in case? Follietta. So F O G. L-I-E-T-T-A. Yeah, so tag Christopher in and we'll see where we get with that. So Christopher, it's been great to have you here. Really interesting subject. I know a lot of people are going to be very interested in that. Good luck with naming a course. Good luck with educating the property community as a whole about the ethics and the human side, I suppose, of dealing with people who are distressed and in trouble. I think it's a great thing you're doing and good luck with coach dad as well no thank you very much a lot going on isn't there just before we wrap up though peter i have we've concentrated on repossessions because people aren't able to pay i mean I, I think broadly what we also need to be mindful of is there's actually a lot of mortgage holders that are on interest only on their repayment vehicles um they they've said they've got going to sell their home or whatever um but they haven't got those vehicles in in place um, so there's going to be even more people coming into this position where they need to sell quickly um, because the, they've got no way of repaying their full debt. As property investors will know that you know there, there's leverage to be held in interest only. As a residential um, homeowner, if you come to retirement age, you're 60, 65, and you've then still got to pay £200,000, you're a bit stuck. These people are going to need to be selling as well. The same principles work because they'll still have to follow the repossession process. Um, but you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people there as well. So I mean, it really does cover the whole whole spectrum, really. If people are going to have their house recovered for whatever reason, there is a better way of doing it. And I'm really looking forward to helping the ethical property investors that I, I know are in this community. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought yeah. of that. That's such a valid... There must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of interest-only mortgages. Yeah. And that just that applies to buy-to-let as well, yeah. Well, and the buy-to-lets, yes. Yeah. I mean, buy-to-let, we, we rather assume we're going to remortgage at some point in the mm. future. But if the yeah, mortgage that... market has changed and you're not able to remortgage, you, you're stuck. 
you yeah. think you could be in the same position. Yeah, yeah. So there's a massive opportunity out there mm. to, to benefit, but also to help. Yeah, yeah. It can be a great win-win, you know, and this is why I'm pushing it, you know, because there's that knowledge here that everyone can move on with their life and save money and make money. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, thank you for that, Christopher. So this has been the Progressive Property Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you are listening and if you've enjoyed it, can I ask you a favour? Please, can you go to wherever it is that you downloaded your podcast from, whether that be Stitcher or SoundCloud or iTunes, and leave a review. Good reviews would be very welcome, but please just leave a review. That'd be great. If you want to contact me, as I've explained in previous podcasts, unfortunately, I'm not sure why, but my messages on Messenger seem to evaporate and I've lost a few. So don't do that. Go onto the Facebook community, Progressive Community, leave a message there, tag me in, and I will find you. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, if they look like they'll benefit the whole community, then we'll do a podcast on it. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast, and here's to successful property investments.